On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Did you know that there's an area of Dublin City known as the Markets? Because uh, I genuinely did not know that there was a district that carried that name. But there it is, nestled between Church Street and Capel Street, just to the west of O'Connell Street on the north side. A district of the city where the working day begins and ends uh, much earlier than maybe some of the bits to the east of O'Connell Street down towards the IFSC. Fruit and veg are the main commodities, as you might expect. Uh, but within it all is this beautiful Victorian red brick building that many people may not have ever come across in person, but it is beautiful. The Dublin City Fruit and Vegetable Wholesale Markets. Um, there's a festival happening next weekend, a festival called Miel Flower, uh, which which I love, which Donald Fallon will pronounce much more authentically than I will. That was brilliant. Thank you, thank you. I, I, I've been working on it. I've been here 18 Bre- years now. Brendan O'Carroll will be on the phone by the time I'm done. Slowly working on my Dublin accent after 18 years. Uh, it's taken over the Markets building next weekend, a food and drinks festival over four days, second initiative in recent months uh, after Culture Night to try and bring something to that space. And it does open up the interesting discussion around what could happen to the site in the future. Uh, Donald Fallon, as you've heard, already commending uh, my north side lilt. Um, Donald, <laughs> all over the world, uh, these buildings, they're kind of having a renaissance. A lot of people m- might have heard about the famous market in Lisbon. Yeah, and before we get into that, I mean, people are wondering, I've never heard of the markets. People might know the, the, the early houses, the pubs that open at a ridiculously early hour of the morning. Oh, yeah. They're all kind of on the perimeter of this area known as the market. So you all get right. the Capel Street, Smithfield, Stony Batter. Uh, and that was because this was an area, as you said in the intro, where, where, where life began and the working day began and ended much earlier than for most people. So you could be finishing clocking off for the day at 7am and that's why you get your point to go home to Absolutely. Okay. I'm watching the commuters go to work. But look, across Europe, yeah, with varying kind of degrees of success, old market buildings have been reborn as kind of contemporary food halls. So instantly, a lot of people listening to this will go, oh, Lisbon, I've been there. You know, mm. the timeout market in Lisbon. Uh, far closer, though, to, I think, to, to where we're sitting is the really successful example of the St. George's Market yeah. uh, in Belfast. Gorgeous building. And oh, a, yeah. a really nice place to spend and a Sunday morning knocking around. Very yeah. similar, actually, to the Market Building in Dublin from the same time, the 1890s, similar in scale. The only problem with the St. George's Market is whenever I go to Belfast, it seems to be closed because it only opens uh, Friday to Monday. But yeah. that's, a, that's an example of, I suppose, what we're talking about, much nearer to home. And, of course, at the opposite end of the country from Belfast, you have uh, somewhere that was visited by a rather famous English person uh, in the last decade or so, the so-called English Market, which is which is a confusing name yeah, down in Cork City. Queen Elizabeth II uh, nonetheless went to that market and Donald O'Driscoll great historian of Cork I always wonder why is it called the English market yeah. one thing, strange thing he wrote that the market was created in 1788 by the Protestant or English corporation that controlled the city at the time ah. but this gets very interesting when local government was reformed in 1840 and the representatives of the city's Catholic Irish majority took over they established another food market St Peter's Market now the Bodega Bar and Corn Market uh, Street which became known as the Irish Market okay. so in Cork once upon a time you had both the English Market so called and the and the Irish yeah. Market but, but the a- English one is because the, the city corporation was controlled by Protestants yeah. so they yeah. said right that's what makes it English <laughs> and it's a great experience uh, to walk around it I think crucially what defines if one of these markets works, I mean, I think the reason the George's Market in Belfast works and the English Market in Cork works is that locals shop in them. You know, yes. they, they eat in them. They go yeah. for lunch in them. By comparison to Lisbon's Market, which is great, it's home to some magnificent food, but it's also going to regard it locally as something of a tourist trap and that's reflected in the costs. Mm. So this is, yeah, it's a trend right across the continent of Europe, but we're actually quite good at doing it here uh, in Ireland, in the south and the north anyway. Now, this this beautiful red brick Victorian market that we're talking about today, um, this was an operational market up as recently as four years ago, um, which, which somewhat surprised me when I came across the fact that it was closing because I'd only just seen the building in the flesh not long before that yeah, yeah. and was just really 
awestruck by how magnificent it is when you do see it in person. Um, it's gone four years uh, and the progress of trying to figure out what you do with it or bring it back to full uh, coverage or full operation has been pretty tardy in the meantime. Yeah, and when it closed, Olivia Kelly went down there from the Irish Times and did one of those great colour pieces that newspapers do mm. when an institution closes down. You know, you talk to the people that are there uh, on the last day. But, but she began her piece by saying Dublin's Victorian fruit and vegetable market will close down Friday after 127 years. That's an extraordinary amount of time, isn't it? Yeah. To just be ticking along, you know, in the heart uh, of a city. The last remaining wholesale traders have been dismantling their pitches and removing stock to make way for a new market expected to be similar to continental-style food markets. Mm. So there was the plan to do yeah. something. Yeah, I and mean, when you read that in the newspaper, that, that gives the impression that you know there's something imminent at yeah. play. But this is a very, very slow process and... You know, that's not to say nothing is happening. Things are happening. But when you're dealing with historic and protected structures, everything is really, really slow, mm. unfortunately. But yeah, if people haven't gone down to have a look at it, it's a beautiful red brick building. Mm. Uh, went up for £14,700. Quite a lot of money, you know, in the, in, the, in the Victorian age. And if it's the legacy of anyone, Park Neville, the city engineer, he was obsessed with the hygiene of the city. And he argued, Neville, that it was very, very important, I suppose, to get the trading of food, fruit and veg, especially and meat and fish, uh, into a, a more regulated environment, into a safer environment. So he did a whole load of things, Park Neville, uh, the Vartry Water Scheme. I mean, we talked about that before on the slot. It was it was John Gray's idea. Yes. It was Neville who made it who made it a reality. All right, okay. And when you're walking over the Leeson Street Bridge, there's these beautiful exposed Victorian pipes and they have his name on them, Park Neville. So the cattle market in Stony Batter was his idea too. He was all about, I suppose, trying to make things that were done in the street, that were perhaps done in, a, in an unhygienic way, safer and more hygienic for the city and dust this beautiful, beautiful market. You know, it's about, we, we've talked before about uh, John Gray and his plans to try and bring uh, fresh running water to the city and the fact that there's a statue of him on O'Connell Street on the median there that no one ever really seems yeah, to have yeah. noticed. And we had the slot and then I was like, God, do you imagine times I've walked by that and I've never noticed that it's a statue to the guy? And look, a politician has an idea. An but engineer makes it happen. I used to live beside Leeson Street Bridge and I walked across it every day for years and years and years and years and years. Never once noticed that there were exposed uh, Victorian uh, pipes there. So I really must have a closer gawk the next time I'm back down there again. Um, there was also a heroic um, chief medical officer. Now, sometimes chief medical officers are not remembered so fondly these days because of some of the advice that they've had to, to give about getting through the day. Um, but perhaps the CMO that we're talking about of this era yeah. was maybe the first one whose name was known as widely as your subsequent Tony Hulahans. No one wants to live in, a, in an era where everyone knows the name of the Chief Medical Officer. Well, there you go. It's a bad reason why that's yeah. happened, isn't there? But yeah, Park Neville's great work was matched by uh, the city's Chief Medical Officer, this brilliant man called Charles Cameron. And he was really adamant, actually, about the need for kind of improved food hygiene. So he went after all kinds of things. People used to keep cows in the back of tenement blocks because they thought it was a way of keeping costs down. Mm. Of course, it was contaminated milk and children were getting sick. It was contributing to the, 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 the high infant mortality rate uh, in Dublin. So there's a moment in Dublin where you have all of these people like Park Neville, Charles Cameron, and they really want to get this fixed in terms of food hygiene. And the market is an end product of that. But I suppose there's also people who are just counting pennies. I mean, there's a report by the city and they say that besides a discredit and disadvantage to the city of having the markets, the outdoor markets in this condition, mm. the revenue derivable from these markets is in the hands of private individuals. So in other words, we can't tax the granny on the street corner who's selling bananas and oranges. So we get them, <laughs> if we get them all inside of a city market, you know, we know exactly what they're selling and we'll be able to tax them. I think yeah. that was a big part of the story too. And so began the era of mass surveillance <laughs> capitalism. Uh, 
uh, all brought about by the concerns of Charles Cameron. Um, walking around it, because uh, it is a, sti- a thing that you still can do, even despite it not oh, being yeah. fully operational now, um, there's lots of little kind of hidden nooks and details that you might not even see on your first visit. Mad things in it. So there's carved goods. So some of the kind of stuff that would have been sold in the market, fruit, vegetable, fish, you name it, all carved into the building's exterior, which is really beautiful. Something that you'd, um, you'd nearly imagine from Pompeii, like Roman yeah, times, absolutely. that you sort of have these things engraved into the side. Yeah, it's something you would see in your travels, but you don't expect to see at home. Really kind of ornate brickwork and brickwork design. The Victorians are mad for all of these little flourishes. Mm. In build. Compared to the Georgians, the Victorians are mad for it. So yeah, it's this very odd kind of 19th century beautiful red brick building, unlike anything else really around this, uh, in the heart of the city. Uh, going forwards, uh, it does seem like this idea of having it converted into a kind of a food market, uh, as was originally the plan when it did cease its regular trading in 2019, it does seem like that is the clear winner, that that mm. is the ultimate goal for what you're going to do with a facility like this. So Culture Night did it something kind of cool. Totally Dublin had a, a night of music in it and DJs playing in it and stuff in the discussion. But it's a residential area. I mean, when you're standing outside the market, yeah. you can see the kind of the, the Herbert Sims, the 1930s public housing, also mm. kind of Celtic Tiger apartments around it as well. Like it's a very, very busy part of the world and people living there. So as far as I'm concerned, this kind of food market, that's the best vision for it going forward. You know, something that exists during the day, maybe into the late, into the late evening. But I'd really like to see the families and the providers, I mean, there's people that work down in the markets that are there for generations in some way uh, involved in it too. But this festival next weekend, it's a chance I suppose to get a look inside of it. Mm. Uh, and I'm doing a couple of tours around the area, around the kind of history oh, right, of the, okay. the markets area. Uh, Profits at the Capuchin Day Centre, as good a cause as any. A, f- uh, a fabulous cause, and of course, only within a stone's throw of, the, of that part Absolutely. of the world as well. So that's on mielflower.com, all of that. Uh, mielflower.com, that's M E A U L D flower.com, uh, if my uh, generic mid Leinster accent Hibernal doesn't make English. clear uh, <laughs> uh, which one you're talking about. Uh, and no doubt, when you're doing that whole talk, and you mentioned the district as well, because I know that, that his work is something that's close to your heart and to your brain as well, of Herbert Sims, the city mm. architect who developed so much public housing around there as well. So if you go on the tour, you're not going to just be looking at the red brick walls no, of the, no, the no, market itself. No, no, Fascinating the part of the world. Fascinating part of the world. No early houses, I promise. Um, <laughs> uh, well, you, you were doing so well in promoting the whole thing and then you said no early houses and then now now I reckon that interest has just gone through the floor. Uh, Meowflower.com is where you're going to find details about the festival and some details as well of where Donald will be doing uh, his walking tours around that area uh, next weekend. Donald Fallon is the author of the Come Here To Me books uh, of Henrietta Street and Tenement to Suburbia and more recently of Three Castles Burning, A History of Dublin in 12 Streets, uh, the Easton's Book of the Year 2022. Uh, he also hosts a podcast of the same name about the history of the capital city which you'll find anywhere you get your audio online On the Record with Gavin Riley, Sunday morning at 11 Brought to you by PwC Great minds think unalike Different skill sets Diverse opinions It all adds up to the new equation On News Talk